Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome to the very first Ominous Origins podcast, a Horror Shots production. This podcast is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Head on over to Morbidly Beautiful to check out what they have to offer in terms of horror, pop culture news, reviews, interviews, retrospectives, introspectives, anything you ever want. They have it. So go check out MorbidlyBeautiful.com. They also have a plethora of podcast content for you to enjoy after you enjoy this one as well. They have They Mostly Podcast at Night, which is a movie review podcast where they talk about all sorts of different movies once every episode. So a new movie every episode, as well as the Campfire podcast where they talk about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Fantastic show and a fantastic podcast. So go check out both of those after you're finished up here. Now, without further ado, enjoy the brand new intro I set up for you for this new podcast. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. On August 23rd, 2012, a 16-year-old girl from Gainesville, Georgia, mysteriously went missing. That girl was Hannah Truelove. The course of events surrounding her disappearance are laden with all kinds of curious happenings and even the potential of a cursed lake, which I discussed way back in our Georgia episode on the Erie USA tour. But let's start at the beginning. Just who was Hannah? Well, as I mentioned, Hannah was a 16-year-old high school student at Gainesville High, and by all accounts, she was rather well-liked. She was very much into gymnastics and singing, and she was an avid Twitter user. In fact, her last tweet, which was the day she went missing, was tagged at another user, Union Nunez, and it said, Mmm, yes ma'am. It was her 892nd tweet, which was seen by her 226 followers. At least that's how many she had at the time of writing this. Based on the pictures on her profile, she seemed like a happy girl who enjoyed being in front of the camera. However, her Twitter might reveal more about what happened to her than meets the eye. It's been well documented that she had some tweets that were a little off, considering the general theme and life updates that she usually posted. She had three tweets that I found a little bit weird. On August 18th, she tweeted three separate things, starting with, quote, so scared right now, unquote, followed by, quote, every time we talk, I feel sick, and lastly, I can't do this by myself. To me, those could mean a couple of different things. Of course, there is the language analysis that can be done, which I would say matches the tone of her Twitter, so it doesn't seem like she was hacked. The tweets are short, a little bit archaic with the emoticons, and they were fairly to the point. In cases like this, it could be suggested that her account was hacked, or somebody had gained control of her account via other means. But that doesn't seem to be the case, as she has tweeted afterwards. Nevertheless, they had a different style. While they matched the short blurbs, and yes, this was back when Twitter had a 140 character limit, the emoticons were a little different. 
it looks like she was the typical user of the colon and parentheses kind of emoticon user. And one of the tweets, she had the three lines making an unimpressed face. And that's on one of the quote-unquote weird tweets of that day. It's probably nothing, but if she was scared, it could make sense. Though I'm probably looking way too much into that. Something that was a little more curious was that she seemed to be having feelings for somebody. She had other tweets that were a little more lovey on the same date. Such as, I just can't fight this feeling with a heart emoticon. So it could be nothing more than a lover's quarrel, or some hurt feelings. But the, quote, so scared right now, tweet is a little unnerving to say the least. Even if the lead investigator on the case said it was nothing more than a teenager venting. But how can you simply ignore that? See, in my previous life, I had a private investigator's license, and this is something that we would look at, the online social media aspect of missing persons or unsolved cases. And I was taught to never write anything off. Doing so leads you to a theory, and theories are the prime evil when doing an investigation. Pride tends to get in the way, and when you come up with what you think happened without any basis, you begin to ignore certain facts or other aspects of the case. What if the tweets weren't just venting? She did go offline for the rest of the day, and her next tweet wasn't until the next day. It's just a thought. There have been some reports of a stalker as well, though it's not entirely substantiated. I've read reports of people saying that in the days leading up to her disappearance, she was afraid to take the bus to school, which suggests that maybe, just maybe, it was somebody from her class, or even the bus driver. Maybe it was somebody on her route to school, either on the bus or on her way to the bus. It's hard to say. Though her dad did mention she never said anything to him about being in danger or anything about a stalker. Nevertheless, at around 9.30 on that August 2012 night, her father Jeff reported her missing. The local police searched for several hours but had to call off the search due to a severe storm. It wasn't until the next morning that Hannah's body was discovered. Her body was not a pleasant sight, unfortunately. And she had died a particularly brutal death. Now, the details of her death weren't fully revealed, but she was stabbed repeatedly. I suppose due to the aspects of her death, the way she was found, and the way she was stabbed suggested she knew her attacker. After all, she was in the woods. Yes, where she lived was close to a wooded area, but she would have no reason to be in the woods alone at night. She seemed to be afraid of somebody. After all, she claimed to have an quote-unquote ugly-ass stalker and that she wanted to get out of the apartments. So why was she in the woods? The investigator in me says that she went in with somebody, somebody she knew and potentially trusted. Hey, remember those tweets that seemed like she was in love and then perhaps heartbroken? Other than saying she had a stalker, those tweets that said, every time we talk, I feel sick, could be taken that she was in a tumultuous relationship. Maybe, and this is just a theory, and I know, theories are the root of all evil, that she met up with that person that the tweets were about. Maybe they had made up. Maybe this person was luring her into the woods to stab her over and over again. Or maybe they were fine and had made up again, but at some point they fought, and after an argument she was stabbed in a fit of rage from this unknown person. I mean, it's unlikely that she would go into the woods with this quote-unquote ugly-ass stalker, and it's unlikely she would be there alone, unless, and you're thinking this too, Surely, she was moved and killed elsewhere, 
Again, not a lot of details have been released regarding her death as she was a minor at the time. So it's not known if she was killed there or if she was moved. But given the storm that night of her disappearance, it may not even be possible to determine where the crime took place. The police had interviewed some suspects, but as far as I could tell, they never named anybody. The only lead they ever found was that a possible late model 90s or early 2000s four-door Chevy with front-end damage and a lighter colored door panel was near the scene. That's it. Seriously, that's all I found when it came to leads. And so what I did next was what any reputable investigator would do, look deeper into social media and internet sites. We all know that the internet has a ton of very talented sleuths, many on Reddit. Now Reddit has been responsible for generating leads and even pointing the police in the direction of various culprits over the years, though not everything is gold. The following is just some information that I was able to find and I found slightly interesting. There was a post that got somewhat buried on the Facebook memorial page, but this Redditor dug it up and posted it. It goes as such. It's posted by Anonymous, and I should point out here first that Anonymous is spelt incorrectly. It starts with, Hey, I don't know if this message will reach anyone because I don't know how the In Loving Memorial page on Facebook works. This has been bugging me for some time, and it could be a lead or it could go nowhere. I would like my identity to remain anonymous to the public, but if need be, could speak to an investigator, if needed. I live on Johnson Road beside Lake Lanier Club here in Gainesville. My father and I have been discussing this topic for some time, and we have a quote-unquote possible suspect in mind and would like to share it just in case. It could possibly help. Knowing this lead could go nowhere to me is worth a shot. Alright, so around the time of the tragic incident, we had a neighbor. For years, he was a great upstanding guy, but then got into drugs really bad. For many, many months, he, quote, creeped, unquote, many people out in the area. One stunning thing I heard from a neighbor is, while he was under the influence of some unknown narcotic, he was driving up our street and stopped a neighbor, which was walking, and was around 12 or 14 years old at the time. He said to her, I have some candy in my basement if you want to come back to my place. I don't think law enforcement was contacted at any time. I believe the girl's father got involved and threatened the man. From what I've seen and heard personally, he has spoken of prostitutes, drugs, rape, picking up young women, etc. I strongly believe he was fully capable of doing something as devastating as what happened to Hannah. My dad thinks the man could have been on his boat, seen her, and attacked her or something. The man was very persuasive, but also had a very bad temper when he didn't get his way. Now, the article here lists his name, but I'm not going to say it in case of false accusations, which I don't want to be party to, but they also say he was arrested around the time of the murder, and if they're not mistaken, for purchasing drugs in violation of his parole. As I said, I don't want to name names in case of speculation. We all know what outing somebody on the internet can do to an innocent person. I am not the police, and therefore I don't want to place anybody in the crosshairs. Though I should mention that the person who posted the original comment wanted to remain anonymous, as they mentioned, and as I said earlier, they spelled anonymous wrong. This could be something, or it could be nothing. It could also be an angry neighbor who's looking to get back as somebody they didn't like and pin a bloody murder on them. Who knows? Though it seems to be verified slightly when another commenter on the Facebook page said that they knew the man and he was indeed scary and that the police did need to be notified. Now, I didn't really want to fall into the black hole of Reddit at this point, so I stopped reading. But what about the curse? Now, if you remember earlier, I mentioned that there was a curse associated with Lake Lanier, and if you listened to the previous episode, 
well, then you're very well versed in it. But in case you didn't, I'm going to give you a quick recap. Lake Lanier is said to be cursed, and the complex that Hannah lived in was called Lake Lanier Club Apartments. That's a bit weird, right? Without going into too much detail, Lake Lanier has been home to a number of strange disappearances, deaths, drownings, and accidents surrounding the lake dating back to the 50s. And it even has a famous incident featuring one of Usher's ex's kids. All in all, the curious case of Hannah Trulove is a mystery that remains to this day. Now, I don't usually do stuff like this, but if you have any information or leads, please contact the Hall County CID tip line at 770-503-3232 or the GBI tip line at 800-597-8477. My name is Casey, and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. This is the very first episode in a new string of podcasts that was once known as the Horror Shots Podcast. As you'll read in the comments section below, I am thinking of changing up the format a little bit. There might be a little bit more true crime slash dark history stuff in here, but mostly it'll still take place with the supernatural and monsters and cryptids and all that stuff that I've been known to do in the past. But nothing is scarier than real life. So if you did like what you heard today, feel free to drop a review on any of your favorite podcasting apps. My preferences are iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, but I'm not going to turn away any review from anybody on any site. Also, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash horror shots. I will be updating that with some more History of Demons stuff under the Horror Shots banner, and I'm thinking of putting up a short video, a movie if you will, that I made about a year ago. It's been sitting on my hard drive, I'm not sure what to do with it, I'm thinking of putting it on Patreon, we'll see. If it goes up there, then, well, you'll be able to see it. And it's a fun little jaunt. It's a horror flick. Didn't take too long to shoot, but I'm a little bit proud of it, I guess you could say. Which is, I guess, a little bit narcissistic. Nevertheless, I really hope you enjoyed the new Ominous Origins podcast. Once again, I am Casey, and you can follow me on Twitter at HorrorShotsProd, as in production, or on Facebook at HorrorShots. Until next week.